0: It's good to be with you and to hear the history of this church's impact in missions. So I'm delighted to be here. We have a story to tell to the nations. It's God's story, and it's a powerful story because this book can transform individual lives. And this book has the ability to lift communities out of poverty. And this book has the ability to build nations, nations that are free and not enslaved, nations that are just and not corrupt, nations that are compassionate and not cruel, nations that are flourishing and not impoverished. This is a powerful book. It can transform lives, communities, and nations. Where does our story begin? It begins in Genesis with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Every culture and every nation has a story. All stories have an opening line, but not all stories are the same. Here in the United States today, we have a story. It begins this way. In the beginning nature. Who promoted that story? You all know his name, Charles Darwin. He promoted the story that in the beginning nature and that story creates a very different context for life than in the beginning God. This book begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It begins in a garden and it ends in a city, the city of God. It begins with a wedding. Whose wedding? Adam and Eve. And it ends in a wedding. Whose wedding? Christ and the church. At the end of history, Jesus Christ is coming back and he's coming back to get married. And who is he going to marry? Us. Us. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them that Christ is coming back to marry them. I'd like us to assume for a few moments that this book represents the Bible. And for the sake of an illustration, let's assume that this book has 12 chapters. Remember, this is just an illustration, so don't come up and say, can I get a copy of that book? <laughs> chapter 1 of the book would be called The Creation. And in this chapter. God created the universe out of nothing. And how did he create? He spoke. He spoke words. He spoke the universe into existence. And one of the marvels of our generation, as scientists study the DNA and as they study the genetic code, they are seeing the code the code language of God that made life. It's remarkable that the code is being revealed. So God made this universe, and he put a man and a woman in it. And he had a commission for them. This was the creation commission. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, form families. Get married, form families, have children, fill the earth. And then these families are to have dominion over creation. To govern creation. To govern words, to govern wood, to govern the farm. This is why we have been put here. We weren't put here simply to consume, simply to eat from the garden. What God expected us to do was to take what he had made and do something with it. So take what he had made and expand the garden. Create vineyards, create orchards, create music and poetry create dance, create beautiful fabrics. I have made you in my image. I am a creator. I am the creator. Now you take what I have made and do something with it. Create culture. Create culture that will honor me. And this is why we have been put here. Not just us here in this country, but people all over the world. And when you think of poor children in in slums around the world, why are they here? They are image bearers of God, and they have been put here as well to take what God has made and to do something with it. They may not know that, but we are to tell them that. Chapter 2 of the book would be called The Rebellion. Because in this chapter, the man and the woman rebelled against God, and death entered the world. First spiritual death and the rebellion, they were separated from God, and then physical death. And evil entered the world. First moral evil, now there would be murders, there would be covetousness, there would be adultery. But not only moral evil. There would be natural evil. There's now going to be weeds in the garden and pain in childbirth. There's going to be earthquakes. There'll be droughts and floods. There'll be famines. And the third kind of evil that we're faced with is institutional evil. We saw this here in our country, at the founding of our country, where we believed a lie and institutionalized the lie. And the lie was that whites are superior to blacks. That is a lie. And we institutionalize that lie in slavery. Many countries of the world, corruption is institutionalized. And that institutionalization of corruption brings poverty to whole nations. So evil is multifaceted, and as God's people We should understand that it is multifaceted, and we should stand before God and say, Lord, what do you want us to do in the face of evil? How do we deal with the evil in our own life? How do we deal with the droughts, with the hurricanes? And how do we deal with institutional evil? How do we stand for justice where there is injustice? How do we stand for the dignity of all human beings? How do we stand for the dignity of the unborn? God's people are to be the people that stand against evil in all of its forms. Now we come to chapters 3 through 9 of the book. These chapters are called the mission, for God is on a mission. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll read verses 2 and 3. God is speaking to Abram, and he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me tell you here as you celebrate this Missions Week, thank the Lord for this church. Thank the Lord for the heritage of this church in being concerned for missions, because God is a missionary God. And we see here that God has an interest in nations. He blessed Abraham. Why did he bless Abraham? To be a blessing to all nations. God is a missionary God, and his mission is to see that nations are blessed. And he called Abraham to be part of that mission. He raised up Moses. And to Moses he gave the Ten Commandments. We see in nation after nation corruption and injustice and people groan in the poverty and suffering of living in corrupt countries. And they long. For justice. But just nations do not fall from heaven. Just nations are built. But they need a foundation. And the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, this is the foundation, the moral foundation for building just laws and establishing justice in society. From Genesis to Revelation, over 2,000 times we find the word nation or nations. God has a love for nations. Does he love individuals? Yes. Does he love you? Does he love me? Yes. But we must think beyond an individualism to see the fact that God has a love for nations. And that's why he raised up Abraham And that's why he raised up Moses and the prophets, because God wants to see nations blessed. Now we come to chapter 10 of the book. This is the heart of the book. It's the Gospels. The high king of heaven sent his only son to earth to die for a rebellious race. Now, let me say that again. The high king of heaven sent his only son to earth to die. What kind of a god is this? Actually, this is backwards from what we know. The pagan gods demand the sacrifice of our children. Remember in the Old Testament, the god Molech, what did he want? He wanted the people who worshiped him to, self, to sacrifice their children to the god Molech. My wife and I were in the great Inca capital, ancient capital of Machu Picchu, and our tour guide took, a, took us to a stone slab And she said, here is the slab where the Inca gods demanded that parents sacrifice their children to the gods. Child sacrifice is what pagan gods demand. And we have a pagan god in this country. Her name is Convenience. And we sacrifice over a million babies a year at the altar of convenience. It's not convenient for me to have this baby. It'll interrupt my school. It'll interrupt my career. It'll interrupt my, my life. And so we bow before the God of convenience and sacrifice our children to this pagan deity. The pagan gods demand the sacrifice of children to the gods. And what did God do? He sent His only Son to die for pagans. That is good news. But what kind of a God would do such a thing? And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life in your name and my name because God demands perfection. And you know and I know we cannot provide perfection with our lives. We're sinners to the core of our being. But Jesus lived a perfect life in your name and my name. And though he was perfect, he went to the cross, and on the cross he carried your sins and my sins. The only perfect man died for sin, for your sin and my sin. And after his death on the cross, they put his body in a tomb, and what happened? Did the body stay in the tomb? No. It rose, Jesus rose from the grave. And my brothers and sisters, history was transformed forever. Up until this moment of time, death had always been victorious. Death had won. And when you died, you were dead. And with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, history was transformed. Death died. Life won. And the early church understood this probably more profoundly than we do. We celebrated Easter, and you made an announcement today about Easter's coming. The early church lived in the Roman Empire where cruelty was a virtue and compassion was a vice. And in the second and third century, massive epidemics swept through Europe and hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. And the cruelty of the Roman culture, if somebody in your family got sick, you would throw them out on the streets. But there was new, this new group of people in Rome. They, they were followers of Jesus Christ. They worshiped the God of compassion, and they were compassionate. And when they found a Roman pagan on the streets dying, they took them into their homes and loved them and cared for them and showed compassion to them. And often these pagan neighbors would survive the plague because of the love of the Christians. And often those who survived the plague became Christians, became followers of Christ, And often the Christians caught the plague while they were taking care of their pagan neighbors, and they died. How could this be? Because they understood the power of the resurrection, and they did not live in the fear of death. Amen. Think of what our lives would be like if we did not live in fear. Think of what our lives would be like if we didn't live in the fear of death. And the early church understood very profoundly and very personally what the resurrection meant. And their lives were transformed by it. Now we come to chapter uh, 10 of the book. This is called the task. Turn with me to Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty. I'm sorry, this is a chapter eleven of the book. Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty. Jesus has conquered death. He's told the disciples to meet him up in the Galilee because he has an announcement to make and a commission to give. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the announcement or the great claim. Jesus is saying all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. It's so interesting today because if you ask Christians where is Jesus king, they'll say he's king of heaven and he will be king of earth when he returns. That's the normal answer that we hear and that we give. But what does Jesus say? All authority in heaven, and where? And on earth belongs to me, to Jesus Christ. Before he went to the cross, the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Thy kingdom Come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we have learned that prayer. Why? Because his kingdom is perfect in heaven, and now he wants to begin to extend His kingdom to earth. So we have the creation commission in Genesis 1, and now here we have the great commission. Jesus wants to begin to extend his kingdom to earth. Every king and every kingdom has ambassadors, and every kingdom has embassies. The United States has an embassy in London, and who does that embassy, what does that embassy represent? It represents the United States. Christ's kingdom has embassies here. And what is the embassy? The church. This church is an embassy of King Jesus. It's an embassy of the kingdom of God. And who are the ambassadors of the king? We are the ambassadors of King Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Santa Ana as it is in heaven. Next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, put the name of your city in, because that is what Jesus is teaching. He wants wants to see his kingdom come. And now that he's made this great announcement that he is king of heaven and earth, he turns to his disciples and says, therefore... On the basis of my authority, therefore, therefore what? Go and do what? Make disciples of what? All nations. There's that word nations again. God raised up Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. Now he has raised up the church to do what? disciple nations. Now, if you ask most Christian leaders, what is the Great Commission? They'll say something like this, go into all the world, preach the gospel, save souls for heaven. That's what you normally hear. And I'll say, look at the text. What does it say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, save souls for heaven, and plant churches. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. What does it say? Make disciples of what? All nations. That is the Great Commission. And what we have done is started the Great Commission, but we haven't finished it. We've preached the gospel. We've seen souls saved. We've planted churches, and then we stopped. There's never been a period in history when there's been more Christians than there are today, and thank God for that. There's never been a period in history when there's been more churches. And there's never been a period in history when there's been more megachurches. And yet, look at our nations. Look at our, this nation. We're crumbling. We're moving into moral and spiritual bankruptcy. But listen to all the churches. See all the churches. Hear all the testimonies. I think of Kenya and Africa. Eighty percent of the people in Kenya profess Christ. And yet Kenya is impoverished. The AIDS pandemic is flourishing. Adultery is flourishing. Corruption is flourishing. And yet 80% of Kenyans profess Christ and the churches are full on Sunday morning and Sunday night. What's wrong with this picture? We've done what we set out to do. We've set out to save souls for heaven and plant churches, and we've done that very well, but we have not fulfilled the Great Commission. We have not discipled nations. And let me simply say, if the church is not discipling the nation, the nation will disciple the church. If the church is not discipling the nation, the nation will disciple the church. And you can ask, we can ask as people in this country, who's discipling who? Is the is the nation becoming more and more like the kingdom of God, or is the church reflecting more and more the values of our nation? The task is not simply to see people saved, for them to go to heaven. That's the beginning of the task, but not the end of the task. Now turn to Revelation chapter 21. We come now to the end of the narrative. In Revelation 21, we see the new heaven and the new earth. We see the kingdom of God, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming from heaven to earth And then we read in verses 23 through 26, one of these wonderful passages of Scripture that describes the end of time with the ingathering of the nations. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And then we come to the end. It's the end of the narrative. But at the end of history, Christ is going to return, and He's coming to return. And one of the things that He's going to do is get married. And the glory of God is going to light the city, the city of uh, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, and the kings of the earth and the nations of the earth are going to be called by the glory of God into the city of God, and the kings of the earth are going to It's a story that can transform individual lives, it can lift communities out of poverty, and it can build nations that are free, just, and compassionate. Our problem is we're not telling the whole story. What we have done, we have ripped the Gospels out of the book. And we've thrown the book away. And we've said, the Gospels are the whole story. My brothers and sisters, the Bible does not begin with John three sixteen. Where does it begin? Genesis one one. This country is waiting for the whole story. The world is waiting for the whole story, because this story transforms lives and even nations.